This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 111. It's a win for us as a landlord. It's just a great business to be in when you run a mobile home park. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com. Your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my charismatic co host, Mr. Brandon Turner. <sighs> the crowd goes wild. That they do. That they do. How you doing, Josh? I'm good. I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Life is good. It's raining again. But, yeah. You know, that's nice. I almost crashed my car this morning. Did you really? Yeah, the, there was like a snowstorm. It was icy. I like this, the roads were horrible here in Denver, and I start going down this hill and hit the brakes, and just they didn't even lock up. I just couldn't stop skidding. Didn't Ooh. matter what I did. So whacked into the sidewalk and almost hit a sign, and then I a second later almost hit a bus. So wow. I'm glad that didn't happen. Let's just put it that way. And especially glad because my daughter was in the back. So oh yeah, well you know I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're okay. Thanks. You're a good guy. It's not true what they say about you. <laughs> It's not, not true what I say about you. It's not true what you say about me. All right. Today on the show, we have a really cool niche that we've never covered before, and it's going to be kind of exciting. So, but before we get to it, let's go over, uh, let me go over our quick tip. Today's quick tip. Yeah. All right, guys. So quick tip is we've got this suite of calculators now on the Bigger Pocket site. Uh, we've got a landlord buy and hold calculator. We've got a a flipping calculator and a wholesaling calculator. So whether you're interested in you know buying and holding, flipping, or, or wholesaling properties, these calculators are designed to help you evaluate opportunities and determine if they make sense. And you know, one of the nice things about them is they all print out these cool reports that you could bring to lenders or give to folks that you know you might be wholesaling to. Lots of great stuff. You could check those out at biggerpockets.com/calc. That's biggerpockets.com/calc. There you go. All right. And finally, before we get to the show, I want to do our weekly trivia question like that. Oh, yeah. Was that, was that the new jingle? That's the new jingle for trivia. I see you put a lot of time into it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I paid a lot of money for it. All right. Last week on the Bigger Pockets podcast, we spoke with Glenn McCrory, who talked about his unique strategy of buying rental properties uh, for group homes and other hassle free businesses. And he also mentioned in the show that his first property was a condo he bought. For who in his life? He bought a condo for someone. Who was that for? So if you think you know, send an email to trivia at biggerpockets.com for your chance to win a digital version of my book, The Book on Investing in Real Estate with No and Low Money Down. And I think you'll like it. So do it. Fabulous. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Let's get to the show. Today, we've got a man who uh, is, you know, Really, really smart guy. He's got a, a great background uh, in, in startups and, and you know, went to a great Ivy League school. And now he's investing in mobile homes. Weird, huh? No, <laughs> it's not that weird. Actually, it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. It does. Stick around and listen. There is a lot of learning to be done in this show. Uh, so today's guest is Jefferson Lilly, and his niche is uh, mobile home parks. We delve really deep into you know the the economics of these things, why they make sense, why they're being ignored and shouldn't be by most investors, and why you might want to consider becoming an investor in mobile home parks. So with that, why don't we move forward to the show again? This is show 111 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com/slash show 111. 
And uh, and you may have questions for him because this is a little bit high level. So go ahead and ask him. And lastly, if you have not yet already jumped on iTunes and left us a rating or review of the Bigger Pockets podcast, we ask that you do that. It definitely helps us get the word out, helps let other people know what you think about how we're doing. Some people really hate us, but most of you guys think we're doing all right. So do leave us a rating and review if you can. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. With that, let's bring him in. Jefferson, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Great to be here. Awesome. All right. So today we're going to talk about your unique strategy of investing, something that we have not had anybody on the show, I don't think anyway, from the very beginning who does this particular niche, even though it's a fairly common niche to get into, just not very popular on BP apparently, or maybe we just don't care. So today we're going to talk about it. (laughs) Wow. Way to start it. Way to start it. Okay. So when reading the notes today that uh, Hillary, who's kind of the one who prepares the podcast stuff, like just reading the notes today, I'm like convinced that like where, what you're doing, I want to do. And I don't even know anything about it yet. I'm I'm just convinced that this is cool. So why don't you tell us? Well, he's got a $997 course that you guys. There we go. There we go. I've got a bank account that you can wire your investment to. All right, yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get there. All right, so let's talk about, first of all, how did you yeah. get into the idea of real estate? I mean, what did you do before? Like, how did that become come about? 
Yeah. So uh, I had worked most immediately for about nine years in high tech. Uh, I live here in the Bay Area and had worked at a couple of different startups. But I had also always been an investor. I think I bought my first stock when I was 17 and my dad had to co-sign the trade ticket. Uh, this is, I'm old. This is way back before online trading. <laughs> I remember uh, tickets. Yeah, yeah you, exactly. You'd have to run them to the window. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I used to work at a brokerage. That's why. I, oh, did you? Perfect. Oh, yeah. Perfect. So I uh, basically, I came out of the dot-com bubble w- w- with a worldview that, that basically Warren Buffett was right about personal finance. And I know it's never quite black or white, but I had done some other dot-com investing, uh, which hadn't worked out terribly well. One of those startups that I had worked at had gotten sold to a large public company that uh, I think I recognized I was more lucky than smart there. So I just wanted to do more value investing and try and emulate Warren Buffett to the very best of my very limited abilities. I'm not in his class, but uh, but I'm a big fan. So um, I started looking around to diversify out of the stock market and figured I would buy some real estate and thought, as Buffett uh, espouses, you know, stay within your circle of competence. I've always lived in a house or an apartment building, and I thought, well, why don't I buy an apartment building and fix it up a little, probably bump the rents, make it a nicer uh, place for for the tenants. Um, I wasn't going to be the guy to, you know, swing the hammers and put in the new kitchen counters, but, uh, you know, figured I would be the general contractor and and improve a a multifamily property. And then just in looking like at LoopNet and doing a search on multifamily, I would see, you know, 99 apartment buildings at an eight cap, eight and a half cap, not here in the Bay Area. I knew I'd be, be buying out in the greater Midwest. Yep. Um, and there would be one trailer park at like an 11 cap. And I thought, that's absurd. I'm not buying a friggin' trailer park. And I delete the search and do it again. Omaha, Nebraska, Lubbock, Texas, Peoria, Illinois, wherever I was looking, there was this one in a hundred multifamily property that was a mobile home park that would be yielding two, three, 400 basis points more, a dramatically higher cap rate. So at that point, I started thinking, well, why don't I look into this business and learn something about it? I wasn't going to live in the apartment building anyway. And these are multifamily. Um, and so I did some online research and started buying every book and tape out there, basically, um, started talking to folks, uh, kind of, you know, in, 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 in my world and found uh, a few other folks that owned mobile home parks or maybe had a parent, uh, that did. Um, so I kind of built up an unofficial advisory board of about 10 guys and it took me about a year and a half from the time I first got interested in the space uh, until I actually closed on that first property. I was still, I wasn't looking full-time. I was still working my day job. But I, I just realized that this business makes a lot more sense to get into than apartment buildings or, or single family. And, and we'll certainly talk about that. But that's kind of how I transitioned into it. I, I still worked my day job for about the first year that I owned my first mobile home park. And I'm now up to five properties and closing on a sixth, I think, in about two weeks. Um But after that first year, I could see that that third startup that I was at wasn't doing terribly well. The first mobile home park was doing reasonably well, but I was putting no time or money into it. So I transitioned and started doing uh, mobile home park investing full time. And that led to a consulting uh, gig with a a high net worth family here in San Francisco that owns a really gorgeous, very high end property fairly near the water. And then it led to my second park. And then I've now, uh, just over the last little over a year, formed a partnership. And we are now acquiring properties uh, with other people's money, as it were. We're now raising a, a fund to acquire more properties. So it's taken on a life of its own from 
from just sort of thinking it would be initially a passive good, but passive investment. And now for the last uh, seven years, I've been doing it uh, full time. Wow. 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 That's great. That's great. And you, I mean, you, you know, you were a consultant back in the day, you know, you, you worked at yep. you know some pre- pretty decent companies. I mean, yep. to jump ship from, <laughs> from, yeah, yeah I mean, a, a, a pretty solid income, uh, I'm yeah. guessing, I'm assuming, um, to, yep. to get into mobile home parks, people are going to, you know, really? Yeah. Like who the hell would do that? So that's why this is really interesting. I mean, you're you're yeah. this guy who's seemingly got everything going for him, and yeah. and you stop cold <laughs> and, and turkey. What, to- what went wrong? That's yeah, no, like mobile home parks. Josh, Josh made this joke before the we before we started recording something about like you know mobile home parks and meth addicts, and that is the instant <laughs> right. That is the instant reaction we all have. We think, oh yeah, mobile yeah. home. Oh, you know, meth or mobile home. We got drama. Except the and people problems. who listen to the show that are living mobile. in mobile home parks. Right. We love you. It doesn't apply to you guys. No, but like that is the natural like, yeah. American reaction to that. I mean, why is yeah. that? Why is that wrong? I mean, like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, you know, there's a big dichotomy between perception and reality. And that's really the crux of why there's profit opportunity here above and beyond apartment buildings or single family house, because maybe the bottom, you know, two or three percent of mobile home parks would be your worst nightmare of, of drugs and police activity. But for the overwhelming majority of mobile home parks, that's just not what happens day to day. And you'll never see a news story, you know, with someone uh, standing in a trailer park and saying on the nightly news, you know, hey, all the rent came in on time today. And <laughs> the kids down at the end of the street are playing with their tricycles. And this lady's planting begonias in front of her mobile home. And um, nothing happened today. OK, back to you. You're never going to see that story. You, you never see the reality, the overwhelming reality of mobile home parks. These are decent folks. Um, Most of them own their own mobile homes. They've stepped up out of, for instance, being an apartment renter, where, of course, they would otherwise never build up any equity in anything, paying rent forever. And so they now at least own their own mobile home. Many of them are on a path in the long run to owning a regular site-built house. Mobile home park may be a place that they live just for five or 10 years while they save money for their bigger dreams. And we're very proud to help them along along their path in life. But again, most mobile, I, I would challenge any of your listeners to just at random, you know, just Google on your phone, you know, mobile home park, just drive into whatever is your nearest mobile home park or two or three and see what it's actually like. It's uh, highly unlikely you're going to see prostitution or hear gunshots or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, and there's a study that came out. I'm not going to cite it, be able to cite it exactly. It was done, I think, by a professor at Northwestern. And it just came out in the last couple of years. And it proves conclusively that there is no difference in crime rate in mobile home parks versus site-built home neighborhoods or uh, apartment um, uh, neighborhoods. So, so there's a gap between perception and reality. That's great. We, we benefit from a lot of investors eschewing this asset class because they have the wrong perception of it. Again, the reality is that it's, it's a perfectly fine and we think really excellent asset class to invest in where, frankly, other than the cash flow, very little happens. <laughs> there's very great. little drama. That's great. And I, you know what I love hearing from you, again – you know, one of my goals with Bigger Pockets is to help spread the message that we real estate investors are good people. We're here to try and help people yeah. with their lives. And you, you said something earlier, I'm going to misquote you, but you said, you know, we're happy to help these people as they move their way up from one asset class to the next is, is yeah. in essence what you said. And, and I mean, yeah. 
your attitude and your theory about these people and, and the way you speak to uh, protect them and, you know, really stand uh, side by side with them says yeah. a lot. And, yeah. and I think, you, you know, you, you're, you're a great spokesperson for mobile homes and people who live in them. And I, and I think that's fabulous. And, and frankly, you should be all over, all over the place uh, speaking on behalf. Cause I mean, I think it's great. And, and, you know, investors get a bad rap as, at the end of the day. And, and so I, I really love to hear that um, from you. Can, can we transition a little bit to how, how does this work? You know, uh, yeah. you know, okay. An apartment building, I go and I buy a building. I own all the units in the building and people come and they rent out each unit and there's open space and all this stuff, right? Yep. Well, what happens in a mobile home park? You said there are people who own their own uh, mobile yep. homes within the property. Uh, ex- explain to us the whole big picture of, of what these things are. Yeah. Few more moving parts with mobile home parks than either single family house uh, in investing or, or apartment buildings. So probably most of your investors, sorry, most of your listeners inherently understand that if they buy an apartment building, uh, say with 75% leverage and they buy it right, they're going to do well, right? You've got recurring revenue stream. You've levered up 75% loan to value. You've got depreciation that helps you generate, at least in the earlier years, you know, helps you generate a return tax-free um, mobile home parks have all those benefits. We typically are buying mobile home parks with about 75% leverage. We've done as well as 80. Actually, I'm sorry. I did one park with 100% bank financing. I put down zero, but that's unusual. Ooh, nice. um, I want to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, boy. But, but it's fa- fairly standard to be able to get 75% loan to value. You do have depreciable assets, right? Even though you typically wouldn't have bricks and mortar the way you would with a single family house or an apartment complex, you still do have roads, signage, fencing, uh, water and sewer infrastructure in the ground. So we're typically able to depreciate between 60 and 80% of our purchase price. And that's in line with uh, apartment complexes. So we've got all the same benefits as apartment (laughs) investing. Here's where it gets better. Unlike with apartment investing where if you own an apartment complex, you're responsible for repairing all those toilets and leaky roofs. In our business, we typically don't own the mobile homes. So we don't have the maintenance expense. When you look at like most publicly traded REITs and you look at their R&M line, repair and maintenance, probably 60 to 80 percent of that goes to the actual four walls of all those apartment complexes. It's relatively inexpensive to maintain the land. You do occasionally have to repave. You have to mow the lawns. You do have to run a, you know, a a, a roto-rooter through the sewer pipes from time to time. But the bulk of your expenses in real estate are on and in those four walls. And in our business, we, at least in the long run, we don't own the homes. Uh, We've just purchased a property in Tulsa. Uh, It's called Tulsa Estates. The website is TulsaEstatesMHP.com. People can see there that we've got houses for uh, uh, rent to own. So we've renovated a number of the houses. We've renovated about 10, and we are putting those out on rent-to-own contracts. We're helping those folks own their own house. Most of the rest of the people already owned their own home when when we bought the, the property. Um, we've also got on that property, again, we got 75% loan to value from a bank. We got about another half million dollar line of credit to acquire another 20 mobile homes. There are roughly 20 vacant pads 
all the infrastructure is there, the water, sewer, telephone, all that comes up out of the out of the ground in the lot. So it'll be it'll be very economic for us to buy these additional 20 homes probably over the next year and a half, bring them in and also put those on rent to own uh, agreements. So that property started with around 60 homeowners. We're going to end up with 90. So we're going to have about a 50% increase in affordable housing there. These folks will own their houses probably in on average five years, maybe six years. There's no 30-year mortgage in our business. So we help people become homeowners quickly. They're getting out of apartments in that market in Tulsa that would run 850 to 900. We'll get them into a house for about 650. And in five years, they'll be down to just paying a little over 200 in lot rent. So that's a huge decrease in their cost of living. We help them become homeowners. So how does that, I I mean, I obviously love that strategy, but how does that play into the idea of a bank who lends 75% loan to value and then you're selling off the assets that that bank is secured by, right? How does that play into that? Yeah. So that property had relatively few other homes that the bank took as collateral. Um, And actually, I think the details of that deal was that the bank really just took the land. So the land had enough value Okay. Uh, that the bank, I don't even believe, took those homes as collateral. I've got one, well, the deal that I paid nothing for that was 100% bank, bank finance, that deal, the bank has taken the homes and the land. And there, I've just got you know a very good working relationship with that bank. And as the tenants pay off the homes, and we've had a few pay cash up front, I just move that cash right through to the bank. I pay down the loan. They, they issue the tenant a lien release and we sell them the house. So nice. it works for us, the tenant, the bank. It's a win-win-win for everybody. I love that. That's great. That's great. Well, so you know, you you collect lot rents, you collect you know uh, cash on on rent to own, right? Um, yes. What other income streams come with a mobile home park? That's those two are it principally. Okay. okay. Uh, I know some other folks will try. Actually, and uh, the deal we're closing on in I believe two weeks does come with some self storage. About 50 units. That's somewhat unusual. And we like that property principally because it's a mobile home park. We're happy to take the the self-storage with it. But we don't, for instance, build self-storage. We don't put in Coke machines, vending machines. We tend not to get into other ancillary businesses. In the long run, we just want a parking lot. We'll we'll, we'll maintain it as a safe uh, community. We'll, We'll keep the common area grass cut. We'll take care of the land. We want folks to be homeowners. And so we, we typically don't get into other ancillary businesses. That definitely, That's great. Yeah, that definitely feels more like uh, simple to manage. You don't have to deal with all that drama. Uh, what about yeah. laundry machines? Do, do all the units, uh, like they have their own yeah. laundry? Or do you have laundry? Great question. Yeah, so the history here is the business kind of grew up after World War II when a lot of GIs that had been housed in trailers on Air Force bases in the U.S. during World War II, they were able to buy those houses or maybe even were just given them for free. And they went into what had been trailer courts, which were more transient. I don't mean that negatively. They they were for folks on vacation that would pull in. Of course, trailers back in the 40s and 50s were so small, they could be towed behind uh, ordinary uh, cars. Of course, now they're large. they got to come in with a big toter like a semi-tractor trailer. Um, But back then, yeah, so a lot of the old, old, what are now mobile home parks started as trailer courts and they had laundry because people would pull in for a weekend or a week and need to do laundry. Um, Newer parks may not have a laundry facility. Um, And actually, none of ours do. But if if and I assume when we buy one that has laundry, 
we will honestly probably close the laundry facility. They tend not to make money. They tend not to be metered. And so most landlords don't really know how much electricity uh, the machines use and how much gas, especially if they're gas dryers, how much gas is used. Um, so it's very difficult to be in the laundry business. If we were to stay in it, we'd turn it over to somebody like Webb and just have them pay us a hundred bucks, a couple hundred a month and let them have all the headache of, uh, of reimbursing us for utilities. And then they get to sort all the quarters, but yeah, I love we, that. we don't, that's what don't I do. view it as another business to be in laundry. It's, it's a bad business. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I do right now. I split mine with a company up in Seattle. They come down, they manage it. There's even their signs on top of all the washer and dryers that says, if there's a problem, please don't contact management. Call exactly. this company. Yeah. I don't, exactly. I never think about it. I just get a check for usually three to $400 a month. Uh, and it oh, just, good for you. Yeah, it comes in every month. And like, like, now, granted, I would be surprised. Like, I'd, I'm curious of how much my water and electricity bill is going up because of that, because I don't yeah. meter them separately. But See, you don't have meters on. Yeah, it. so but, you might be losing. Money but I might be. I might. But I don't. I don't think so. Because I mean, my well, yeah, I look into that. <laughs> yeah, I look into it. Okay. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta look into that. But that said, in, do you, one of the things I feel about the laundry is that it helps get good tenants that stay for a long time. Now, do most. I don't know if that's like that in a mobile home park, but my assumption is like if I lived in an apartment complex and I constantly had to drive three miles to go and wash, you know, wash clothes, I probably would always be thinking every trip, I'm going to find a new place to live. This is irritating, you know, six times a week. I don't know. Do you, maybe that's not the case. Do, do they have washer dryers in the units at all ever? Typically, yeah. These okay. folks uh, are more stable than apartment dwellers. Yep. Most uh, most apartment folks turn over about 50% a year. They'll stay in an apartment building roughly two years. Yep. Uh, we have tenants that stay at least five years on average. Wow. So the turnover is much lower. That's These great. folks are more stable. We think they've generally got better jobs. And so they tend to own their own washer dryer. They'll just bring it right into the mobile home. Uh, most all mobile homes sort of from, I would guess, the 1960s and 70s forward actually have hookups in the mobile home for washer dryers. Certainly the newer homes all do. That's what we infill our properties with or nice new large homes, almost 1,300 square feet homes. Wow. So there's plenty of room to have washer dryer there. So most tenants do. So it's uh, not a big inconvenience in this business to not offer a laundry apartments okay. are a different business. Sure. That's yeah. Great. And that's you know, great. you know, I think that's funny that like you make a good point. You said it earlier and you said it again now, how like apartment people oftentimes think of mobile homes, like we said earlier as like, that's where the meth people live or that's where the, the, the ghetto is or whatever. Well, it's a step yeah. down from the apartments if, is if, what a lot of people It feels think. like, yeah. But after Thanks. when I, when I think about it, I'm like, actually, you're right. The people I know in a mobile home, they went from an apartment to a mobile home to be more secure. Everybody I know that's in, and when I think of all the mobile home parks in my area, they are all really nice. We don't have a single junkie one that I know of in my county. At least, yep. you know, maybe they're hidden out in the woods somewhere. But I don't know. I, I don't know why I've, that has never occurred to me in my entire life until this podcast that, that I think that's actually a step up from apartments, not a step down. Yeah. You were waiting to meet Jefferson. I know. <laughs> there we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so some mobile home park owners do rent mobile homes. Now we don't. Yep. So we notice there's a big difference between folks that come we, but I used to, you know, I've made every mistake in the book and we can talk about a couple, a couple of them. We won't have time for all of them, <laughs> but uh, I used to rent uh, mobile homes and I've always rented to own. And I've seen it firsthand myself that what you really want in this business are folks that can come up with about $2,000 down 
on a house and, you know, th- then can still afford roughly the same uh, 500 to 650 a month uh, rent to own payment. But again, those are the folks that are more stable. They're going to have their own washer dryer. They're going to take better care of that home. They're going to plant the proverbial, you know, begonias in front of the mobile home. So, you know, that home is never leaving the community because they've got their flower bed right in front of it. They show real pride of ownership. It's a win for them. Uh, it's a win for us as a landlord. It's just a great business to be in when you run a mobile home park correctly and don't rent to, you know, just anybody. Hey, Jefferson. So yeah. um, I got a whole slew of questions. I'm going to jump to a, a couple that I that <laughs> yeah. I uh, written a while ago. Um, how is the value of a park d- determined? I mean, is it is it literally just, you know, the, you know, you're adding your lot rents, is the, you know, run it at some multiple and you you can determine it from that. I mean, with a multifamily, you can buy a distressed multifamily that's got some vacancy rate and, you know, acquire yeah. it for for less money because you've got all these, you know, openings and I'm assuming it's it's similar with with a multifamily. You know, you've got uh, 50% of the lots rented, so you bought, you know, this this property at some kind of discount, you go in, you get them, get them all rented out, and suddenly the value of your property is worth more. Is that kind of the basics? Yeah. The moving parts uh, principally are that you, you've really got two businesses. One is the land, which we like to think of as a parking lot, and the other business is the mobile homes. So we always, for instance, acquire a property with two LLCs, and ideally we'll take title to the land in a land trust. That's a separate discussion on asset protection. Um, but the land itself, you know, uh, needs to be valued uh, using a cap rate. And in the Midwest, where we buy sort of 16, 17 states in the greater Midwest, we're typically paying a 9, 10 cap rate for, for most of those properties. A lot of uh, mobile home park owners will combine in all of the income from the houses. You don't want to do that because the mobile homes, if you cap the income from them, you could end up paying twenty, thirty thousand dollars for a house that's really only worth, you know, five or ten thousand. So we look to uh, we run test ads and and we've got a feel for what the mobile homes are actually worth in that market, what we can sell them for to a new tenant, and that's typically between five and twenty thousand. So we value each mobile home separately, just based on what it's worth in that market. You know, a nineteen eighty two bedroom in and around Los Angeles is going to be worth certainly 20 grand, maybe 30. That same house out where we're buying in Tulsa and Kansas City, Oklahoma City, you know, might only be worth a couple thousand. But you value the home separately, each home, and then you figure out what the P&L, you might have to do some forensic accounting and separate out the numbers. But whatever the land itself earns, that's what you would apply in the Midwest, typically a nine or 10 cap rate to. That's how okay. you come up with your value. Okay. And, and I'm going to ask you before, I'm going to ask you to explain cap rates a tiny bit for just sure. a second, quick and dirty. Before I do that, um, anybody listening, if you guys have questions about the stuff that, that Jefferson or any of our guests are asking, uh, we, Bigger Pockets, we've got thousands and thousands of articles written answering things like, hey, what's a cap rate? And, and the reason I bring this up, I was talking to my uncle the other day and he's like, hey, Josh, I love your show, but you don't ask all the detailed questions. Like you, you let them talk about cap rates, but you didn't ask what it is. Yeah. Well, we explain that on show 16 yeah. and 54 yeah, yeah, and so yeah. on and so forth. Um, but anyway, for, for folks listening, if you jump on our forums, biggerpockets.com slash forums, or if you jump on the Bigger Pockets blog, biggerpockets.com slash blog uh, and, and search for cap rate. 
um, you'll find answers to questions that you might have about things that our guests are talking about. I think you had mentioned NOI. What is NOI? Yep. How do you find it? We've, we've talked about that. We've written about it. We've done videos on it before. So if there's something that you find uh, that you miss, just make a note of it and do a search and you'll find it. Um, with that, uh, jump really quickly on, on how the cap rates work, the mechanics, if you don't yeah. mind. Cap rate simply means the yield on your investment. So if there's a any kind of real estate, mobile home park, shopping center, anything that yields, say, $100,000 a year in profit, also known as net operating income, and uh, somebody wants a 10 cap or a 10% yield, that means you just divide 10% into that 100000 That means they're going to want $1 million for that property. If you bought it outright, no debt, you pay a million for it, you're going to put $100,000, 10% in your pocket every year. If you can negotiate them down to a, now here's where it goes in the reverse. If you negotiate the price down, say the cap rate to a 20 cap, well, that same 100000 to now have a 20% yield means you'd buy it at $500,000. Your same 100000 profit into a 500000 purchase price is a 20 cap or you're earning 20% on your money. Most properties trade in the Midwest around a 10 cap, which means simply you pay 10 times the annual earnings. Or another way to think of it is you're going to get a 10% rate of return on your money every year. Well, that's all good. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was great. I mean, because that, that's kind of a topic that people use that word a lot, cap rate, but a lot of people don't even know what it means. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think that's, that is valuable. We probably should do more of that, asking people to explain that. Oh, yeah. So, very, oh. very cool. Um, uh, test ads. Do you want to ask them? I know you and I had chatted. Done what? Well, I'll ask. Test ads. You, you, you had yes. talked about using test ads, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't quite follow it. I'm, I'm guessing you put advertisements in the paper to figure out what kind of rent uh, yeah. you would get on <laughs> a potential purchase. Is that what you're doing? Good heavens. Newspapers sound like they cost money. Why not use Craigslist? <laughs> oh, yes. whatever. You know, Craigslist is great. I'm old, man. Josh is old. Oh, man. Boy, okay. All right. I'll take a lesson from, from an old guy like me, and I'll, yes. I'll tell you about Craigslist. So, yeah, we'll put up ads uh, on Craigslist for the homes in a community uh, just to see how well they pull. In this business, mobile home parks, we want to see roughly 20 responses per week. Could be email, could be phone call. We turn over all those leads to the current owner of the park. This is something we do during about one month's worth of diligence when we've got the property under contract. And again, we're doing diligence to see if we want to go through with the contract. But during that month, one of the many things that we do is we'll run a test ad. Rarely do we get, you know, 17, 18 responses and we're kind of on the fence about a deal. What we find is we either over the course of a week will get two or three responses, in which case it's clearly a deal we don't want to do, or we'll be getting 30 and 40 responses a week. We bought a second park in Tulsa about five weeks ago, smaller one. That one had over 60 responses wow. in a week. That's about the strongest we've ever seen. Wow. Um, so that just tells us how easy it's going to be to get some of those homes filled if, for instance, we buy the mobile home park and it comes with some vacant mobile homes that need, you know, three or 5,000 in repair, we just need to make sure that once we sink the money into those homes, and certainly when we start buying and bringing in homes from banks uh, that maybe have foreclosed on the homes, we'll bring those in. Now we're looking at more like a $20,000 investment. We need to make sure we can get those homes moved in about 30 days. 
And as long as we're getting 20 some odd responses a week, we're pretty confident we'll be able to get those homes moved quickly. So are these ads basically saying, hey, you know, owner finance, uh, mobile homes available in this part of town, boom, that's it? it exactly, yeah. Okay. Just put what, what, what the town name is, says mobile home for sale or rent. We'll include some photos inside and out. We'll write in, depending on the house, could be as little as 500 down. Most of them are one to 2,000 down. And then just what the monthly payment is, which typically ranges from about 495 to 695 a month. So it's a very simple ad. Uh, we'll typically have, um, again, our phone number in there. And between email and phone responses, we're looking uh, for ideally 20 responses or more per week. That's great. Really, really, really clever idea. And, yeah, and uh, I, that actually, I think, applies for uh, the purchase of, of apartment buildings as well. I would yeah. assume, you know, like, <laughs> hey, you see this this building that's 50% vacant. Right. Maybe it's not because the owner is an idiot and doesn't know how to take care of it. Maybe there's no demand for apartments right. in that area. Yeah. yeah. That, that's great. I love really it. Really cool. Yep. I love it. Um, yeah. H- how do you find mobile home parks? I mean, th- they're not just throwing out mobile home parks on Craigslist usually. So what do you do for that? Typically they don't, but that free park that I got zero down, I got it off Craigslist. Well, believe it or well, not. Okay. Let's hear that. How, let's how hear that story. Yeah, let's hear that story. <laughs> okay. So th- this is not typical, but yeah. So I look on Craigslist. I also look on eBay. I actually bought my first park off eBay. Really? Uh, the more recent parks I've done, I've done the normal way through brokers. Uh, and brokers really are, uh, it'll ebb and flow, but right now, this year, for the last couple of years, brokers have been the better source of deal flow. These but are again, commercial that, brokers, right? Commercial, yeah, commercial brokers, yeah. Okay. So that deal, I saw it on Craigslist. It was fairly near uh, the first park that I bought in Oklahoma City. Um, so I went to my bank and I I said, hey, how, you know, do you like this deal? I think it makes sense. Uh, it's also in, in a very good, well, really, almost all of Oklahoma City is is quite strong, sort of five, five and a half percent unemployment. Uh, this had a, uh, was in a town with particularly high uh, average household income. Um, so, uh, the bank said they liked it. And actually the bank had come to me cause I had built up a relationship with them for about four, four and a half years. They had come to me and just said, Jefferson, borrow money. You can buy uh, mobile homes to infill your existing park. If you find another park, we'll lend on that. Um, so that, that was how that deal came together. My, my bank that I had a longstanding relationship with obviously never missed a payment with them. We, we do the whole business, all the rents go into their bank. We pay all the expenses out of their bank. They see the whole business happening right in front of them. They were then comfortable lending a hundred percent loan to value on, uh, on that second park that I bought, which was just about a, a 20 space park, not, not huge, but, uh, you know, to get it for free zero down was, uh, <laughs> was a pretty good deal. Well, that's a great, a great reason why, you know, we always tell people like to develop those relationships with your banks, you know, even if right now you don't, even if people listening to this don't have a single property yet, you know, there's nothing to say you can't go and start establishing relationships with banks. Uh, You know, let them walk with you on your journey. And uh, yeah, you never know, like you build that relationship, they'll come to you and let you do a zero down loan or zero in. That's awesome. Love it. It's one of the, one of the key, I mean, seller financing is also great. But just understand that if you get seller financing, virtually no seller is ever going to come to you after four years and say, hey, you've made every payment on time. Why don't you borrow more money from me? You know, so banks, you know, there's pros and cons to seller carry and bank financing. But that's one of the key ones, uh, pros for bank financing is that if you treat a bank well, 
probably the bank will treat you well. And unless you, they're one of oh. the big, big, big banks. Right. I mean, this is a small bank, about 180 yeah. million in assets. And all the people that work there and own the bank all have the same last name. You know, it's been in the same the same <laughs> oh, yeah. family since like 1950. Because, no. I mean, that does not apply to the, the major banks. They don't give it. Wells they don't Fargo, Citibank. Yeah. No, not so much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I want to jump back a little bit and then, you know, keep keep going forward here. Uh, you had talked about due, due diligence earlier. Uh, yeah. And then just uh, just now you had talked about uh, looking at the income in the town, the kind of the general income level. So yeah. so my question is, what what other forms of due diligence are you doing besides demand for the property in trying to determine if this is a property that you would want to purchase? Sure. So uh, I can spend about two minutes and get a, a very clear insight, actually probably closer to one minute, get, get a very clear insight into whether it's a property I want to buy. So what I'm looking for first and foremost is to see that it is on city water and city sewer, as opposed to, for instance, being on a well and septic. Um, you just have no idea whether either of your private utilities, water and sewer, are really working correctly and government can come along and cause all sorts of problems for you. So first off, we just, you know, we weed out probably between a, a third, maybe even towards half of all of our deals just because they're on private uh, utilities. Okay. We'll make an exception if the city water and city sewer line runs immediately in front of the property. But we 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 but generally that's not the case. Generally, these are stranded properties, and they're even a th- certainly even just a thousand feet away is too far. And and usually, you know, you're five miles to the nearest city water and city sewer. Gotcha. So we weed out a good amount of deal flow right there. Once we're actually in diligence on a property, we run those test ads. We also go on site. We want to get into as many of the mobile homes that that might convey with the sale, um, and. But but there might be none. The, the the smaller Tulsa deal we closed on five weeks ago is just a parking lot. There were all the homes are owned by residents. There's nothing to get into. Um, you know, we'll want to meet with the manager. Uh, we'll want to understand how they've been marketing the property. What we typically see is that there's no website for the property and they're not advertising on Craigslist. Yep. Um, we've even bought properties, believe it or not, that have no sign out front. Wow. <laughs> and, and that are not listed in the yellow pages. So wow. we, we, we love that. When, when a property is that badly marketed that really the only way to find it is word of mouth, you cannot even look it up online on the yellow pages or in a physical old, you know, old yellow physical book. Um, that's all a very good sign for us. We're happy to pay, you know, nine or 10 cap rates on properties that are that poorly marketed because we know by putting up a website, by getting it listed on Google Earth, by getting it in the yellow pages, all that's free. We're going to have dramatically more traffic. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. 
Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. And BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Let me ask you this. So we, you know, we've had different apartment investors on the show before, and we talk about this a lot. And Josh mentioned it <coughs> earlier about the cap rates, and you, you talked about. Um, well, let me. 
So if you were to improve an apartment complex to bring in more income, you raise the value. If you were to drop the expenses on an apartment building, you raise, you raise the value because it's based on the return on an investment, essentially the, yep. the, like the cap rate. So how does that apply to this business? I mean, how do you raise income and lower expenses? Sure. So, uh, our, our large Tulsa property, uh, both had lot rents that were below market. Uh, we're never the highest. We, you know, we don't try and take advantage of folks, but we will raise rent to be where our competition has rent. So, uh, this is the, um, Tulsa Estates MHP.com property. People can check that out. Uh, the nearest competitor, uh, had lot rents at 240. They actually had an inferior location to ours. Uh, when we purchased that property, lot rents were 180. Mm-hmm. So we've taken them halfway. We've taken them to 210. Uh, but that's still, what, about a 15% increase. And probably in another year, we'll take them another 15%. So that property, ha- w- we will have, over the first 12 months, about a 30% increase in rents. Oh. That, goes, that goes a long way to the bottom line. At the margin, of course, that, that's all pure profit for us. There are no you know, incremental managerial or insurance or maintenance costs when you just raise rents. So, but, but we've also given back to the tenants. Uh, we've repaved that community. Uh, we've kicked out two sex offenders. Uh, and there were four burned out mobile homes that really were safety hazards for, you know, kids playing in the park. Yep. The previous owners were classic mom and pop. They were very bad operators. They just weren't taking care of, you know, again, even basic safety issues like those abandoned homes. So we've hauled out four houses. We've put some money back into it. Um, and, and, you know, but we, we think it's fair that, that we'll raise rents over a year or so to be where the competition has rents. And again, we'll certainly reinvest in, in, in the property. Um, so that's the revenue line on expenses. There's some uh, problems with uh, water leaks and we are getting those patched. Um, so that will encourage conservation and lower our water bill. That's the right thing for the environment. It's the right thing for our PNL. It's nice when the environment and profits line up. Do the, um, do the tenants pay so, their own water or do you pay the water? Uh, typically tenants will, it uh, works one of, one of two ways. Either tenants do have a direct relationship with the water company. That's the way our park in Kansas city works. Um, or tenants will have a relationship with us. We'll put the meters on the houses and we receive a master meter. There's one giant meter from the city right at the edge of our property line. And so with those meters on each house, we then bill back the water at cost. We're not making a profit on the water. Um, but so that's the way actually most parks, probably 75, 80 percent of parks would be master metered. Okay. And that's upside because, as was the case, actually, with the, the free park that I got, uh, the water meters, uh, well, many of them were broken. So there was good upside there in just, you know, spending, I think it was three or four thousand uh, in, in new water meters. And that helped to reduce the annual water bill by about seven thousand dollars. Wow. So I'm go. getting, you know, it's. Yeah, spend four grand and get back seven grand a year forever. You know, that's like doing real estate yeah. at 100, 150 cap rate forever. I just, <laughs> yeah. I wish I could be in the water meter business, you know, not the mobile home park business. <laughs> nice. if, I could, if I could just collect all the savings on water meters, that's really the, the best thing. But that's funny. Anyway, yeah, that's small great. dollars, but, but, but profitable to do that. Great. Right on, right on. Love hey, it. so we, we talked about uh, park managers. Yep. If everybody owns their own house, why do we need a park manager? Right. Uh, so what, what does a park manager do? Uh, I'm assuming, uh, 
I'm assuming when you buy the property, the manager's there and you probably uh, bring in your own team regardless, but but uh, maybe, maybe you could kind of fill us in on the park manager uh, component of all this. We actually almost always keep our manager. Okay. Uh, we've found them so far to be reasonably good and competent. Um, so we, we, we keep them. We'll train them in the ways we do things. Um, we find, you know, for instance, a lot of previous owners may not be advertising the houses, uh, may not even have a, a little sign, one of those little bandit signs in front of the house that says, you know, for sale or rent. Uh, so we'll buy those for the manager. We'll train them in how how we want things done. So to answer your question, what our managers do then is when a house may come uh, available and Although we don't own most of the houses, we do budget that we'll probably always own maybe 10% of them. So our business may look like 90% parking lot, 10% apartment building. That's still pretty good. Um, But so they will show those houses. They're typically not doing the repair work. That's a mistake other park owners typically make is they try and have the manager both manage and do the sheetrocking and painting, it's rare, not impossible, but rare that you would find anybody with the skill sets to do both the white collar, you know, rent collection, sign the lease type of work and the blue collar sheetrocking and paint work. So we typically take that away from them and we'll hire in a crew as needed to do the repair. But they would take photos of the house. They would maybe supervise what the repair crew is doing for us. And again, they're then depositing the rents, the lot rents that come in. They're depositing those into the bank. So it's not a full-time job. It's an easy job and something that a manager can do in their spare time around whatever is their full-time job. Are they typically somebody who lives in the park or? or? Yeah, and I think all but one of the cases. Uh, Yeah, so you want somebody that's vested in the community. Um, You find your managers in this business by driving through the park and looking to see who has the nicest house. Might not be the newest, but, you know, it's painted. The lawn is cut. Uh, There's not a car up on blocks. Uh, They're probably driving a car that might be, five years old and not 10 or 15. And we just knock on doors when we need to replace a manager. And again, we typically have a manager that comes with the property. But that's that's how you find your manager. You look for someone with pride of ownership. They'll almost want to do the job for free. Now, we pay them. But someone who shows that kind of pride of ownership is going to be fired up about saying, hey, I get to be the manager. Okay, well, the guy down at the end of the street that (laughs) does have a car up on blocks, you mean I get to tell him to take his car down and fix it or have it hauled off? Now, you know, we don't we don't let this get personal with the managers, but we'll back him up and say, yeah, here's our form. And here is what you do to serve that person with a notice that they have 30 days to get that car down off blocks. So we've got a manager that that's motivated. And that's the kind of person you want. I love that tip. And I'm assuming you come in with these with your policies. You're, the rules of your parks are probably standardized, and they you are. Know, car, cars on blocks don't don't go. And just because the previous guy let it, we don't. And if you don't like it, get the hell out. Yes, we say it a little nicer than that. <laughs> it's very. I'm, rare I'm a New Yorker. I'm not yeah, a nice guy. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we we back up our managers. We provide polite notices, but we have 
it's rare. We have had to evict a couple of folks, and this is out of hundreds over the last eight years. We've had to evict just a couple for rules violations. It's pretty rare, and especially if you're actually investing in the community and you're you know paving roads. Something else we do is we put up house numbers on all the mobile homes, and that helps first responders find the house when they know that mm-hmm. house number 17 has you know somebody in it has had a heart attack. A lot of previous owners haven't numbered the houses, yeah. and you can't find house number 17. So. So anyway, we we do safety improvements like that. And then tenants know that we care. We're not there to be their friend, but we're a responsible and better owner landlord than the previous guy or mom and pop were. Um, And and we find folks respond quite well to taking the occasional car down off blocks. It's it's rare. Um, But yeah, folks will respond well when they see a landlord that cares. That's That's awesome. Yeah I, yeah, I mean, I love that tip about you're saying about the find the person who with the best pride of ownership. I mean, I, I'm thinking yeah. of my own properties, like my apartment complex. That's probably should have, how I should have found my resident manager is doing it that way. So next time I need one, I'm I'm going that route. But um, oh, all right. So something you mentioned way earlier, and you, we just kind of glossed over it real quick. But you mentioned raising a fund, and I want to yes. talk about like what is that like? Because that's something that applies to all investors, whether you're a mobile home park or not. But what does that mean, and why would you do that? I mean, what what's that like? Why are you going that route? Yeah. So the bottom line is, you know, with my first couple deals, frankly, I've outgrown my limited personal capital. Uh, I'm I'm not Warren Buffett, so I do (laughs) have to use OPM, other people's money. Um, So we've uh, those first three deals that we did were all done deal by deal. Uh, We did retain a securities attorney, paid him almost $10,000 to put together our offering document for those first three deals. We've paid him now almost another $10,000 to put together what we think are almost identical documents to raise (laughs) a fund, but we want to make sure we do it right. Uh, So we have registered the fund with the SEC. This is a proper 506 Reg D fund. So for instance, I can talk to you about it here on the phone, uh, on Skype. Uh, We can advertise it. Um, we do have to only take accredited investors, folks okay. with a million dollar net worth or 200000 a year in income. Um, but I can put in a little plug here that information is on our website, parkstreetpartners.net uh, backslash fund, um, <clears throat> and people can invest. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we've raised, oh, well, it's been about 30 days now, not too long, but we've raised about a million dollars so far. Uh, we have our own mailing list of a couple hundred, maybe closer to 300 folks now. Um, and then <clears throat> some of the folks that invested in our first couple deals have <clears throat> also re-upped and invested in the fund. Um, but we can now advertise it widely. Um, I've got the largest mobile home park investors group on LinkedIn, which oh, is simply cool. called Mobile Home Park Investors. Uh, you can just Google for it or, or find it right off LinkedIn's homepage. We've got about 2,300 folks there. So we've gotten some interest uh, from that group uh, and, and folks have invested. The minimum investment is 50 grand. Uh, we're trying to raise 5 million. We'd love to find a you know, high net worth folk uh, person or family office to write you know, a, a seven check. figure yeah. check for us. <laughs> so far, we've gotten a lot of six figure checks from about 50,000 up to 500,000. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway, so the way to do it right then when you're tapping into OPM is to get 
a proper securities document written when you're just doing friends and family. And if it is, you know, again, your uncle, your college buddy, and you're kind of pooling together, maybe a hundred, maybe 200,000 to do your first mobile home park deal or whatever real estate you're into. Uh, you, you know, you can just write up a, your own operating agreement yourself, you know, your own gentleman's agreement, form an LLC for a hundred bucks and go buy a property. So you can make it quite simple. Um, <clears throat> we just chose to go the more formal route and retain an attorney, uh, both on, again, the first deals and then now on the fund. Okay, great. So w- one of the things that I was told up front when we were going to chat with you was that you were doing something kind of interesting with your business. You were doing a bit of outsourcing. So, you, you know, you yeah. weren't super involved in the, in the day-to-day. Uh, what does that mean? Explain what, what exactly you do. What are you outsourcing? Um, fill us in. Sure. So as I mentioned earlier in in the podcast, I transitioned obviously from being an employee to now being an owner. And the biggest mind shift or perspective change that that I had to go through on one of the couple was that, you know, when I was an employee, I was working to make myself as relevant as possible to the business. I was taking on more work. I was working long hours. um, But I was always I was never looking to replace myself. <laughs> I was always looking to be hugely relevant and important to that business. When you own your own property, and I would say probably really for most any business, even if you're an entrepreneur not in the real estate business, you have to make yourself completely irrelevant to the business. So oh, yeah. I started out, for instance, for the first four months uh, doing my own QuickBooks. I think there was some value to learning that, but I've now outsourced that. Uh, I found a company over in India uh, that I hired, I believe, off Odesk.com, which is now part of Elance.com. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, Yeah. they merged uh, somewhere about a year ago. Yeah, I knew that. Josh, come on, where have you been? Where where have I been? Oh, my goodness. I had no idea. Anyway. (laughs) We love Odesk. I mean, we use it all the time. yeah, Yeah, great. So those guys in India, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an accounting company. It's not literally an individual. But I pay them about $7 an hour, uh, which I think is quite reasonable for bookkeeping. I had been all across the board. I had even I had paid as little as $2 to someone in Bangladesh that didn't work out. I had paid $50 an hour to someone here in the U.S. that was even worse than the $2 Bangladeshi. <laughs> so I bounced around a bit. But for instance, so I've outsourced the, the accounting there. They have read-only access to my bank account. They can't write checks, but they can go on, you know, their daytime is the middle of the night, my time. They can see all the rent that's come in. They can see all the expenses I've paid. They can keep my QuickBooks up to date. So that's outsourced. Um, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of our managers have day jobs because this is not a full-time job managing a mobile home park. So what happens to a phone call when it comes in during the day? Well, folks can press uh, extension one and they'll get through to uh, a lady that we have. She lives um, in Tennessee. She's a stay-at-home mom. So all our properties have calls that roll over into her uh, cell phone, and she can then uh, deliver information to folks that are calling in uh, during the day. Um, we use Dropbox, for instance, to upload photos of all the houses. So she's up to speed on which house in which community is available. Um, she can describe it to, to someone that's interested. She's actually the lady that does our marketing. So she'll post those photos up on Craigslist. I don't do that. Uh, my managers just all they have to do, because some of them aren't entirely computer literate, they simply send an email to her and say, hey, house number one, two, three is available. And within 24 hours, she's got it posted up on Craigslist with photos. 
link backs to, to that property's website, the whole thing. So that's just a couple of things that, that we've outsourced. That's great. Can I, yep. can I dig in a little bit longer on one thing you mentioned there, accounting? And I'm doing this from a, for a personal uh, you know, reason because that's what I do. Uh, yep. So like uh, we – you know, my wife spends a lot of time on accounting. Like she, she does that a lot and she doesn't mind it too much. But and we've talked about that before on the show and I've talked about finding a bookkeeper and we kind of have one now. But how, do you, how does a person in India manage your books? I guess that's what – like I feel like when we do our books, like every like – couple minutes when like my wife's doing them, she has to ask me like, Hey, do you remember what this was, was for, or how did, how did this work here? Can we have to like talk about things? How does that work with somebody who works overnight? So we have, uh, some email back and forth explaining transactions. It's certainly not daily Mm -hmm. and it, it does get to be a little more intense at the year end. Um, but I'm able to put into at least our, our bank accounts, I'll put into the notes section of the check that goes out to a vendor. I'll say, hey, this is sheetrock for house number one, two, three. And then our bookkeeper can see that written in the, the memo line of the check. And he knows, oh, OK, sheetrock, we capitalize it. And that's for house number one, two, three here in, you know, the Noble Estates Mobile Home Park. Um, so that answers a lot of questions just yeah. that I'm putting putting notes in the memo line of the check. And then whatever else isn't clear, he he, he gives me uh, shoots me an email. We rarely talk on the phone um, or he'll also be somewhat in contact with our CPA who's in Massachusetts, uh, who's a, a, you know, obviously proper U.S. based CPA, very familiar with U.S. tax law. Um, so. There you go. That's how we cool. handle it. Nice. That's nice. Great. You, you know, one of the holes that I found, and we're we're dealing with this, uh, is is with credit card. You know, you'll you'll get a purchase. You know, say you need some supplies, you need something from Amazon. Well, great. Yep. I'll get something on my credit card statement saying Amazon, and you know, the bookkeeper is like, "Hey, what the hell did you buy for seven hundred and forty-two dollars?" And so then, you know, the yeah. nice thing is to be able to go through like a Gmail to be able to do a search for seven four two dot you know whatever it is. And it'll pull up. Oh yeah, this is what we we bought. So that that's kind of how we deal with with the the credit card situation. And here's a little tip for people: um, we love using our credit card because we get points on our credit card, and sure. and, and that's always a, a nice little bonus for your business. You know, get a really good points credit card and build up some free trips uh, as your company uh, pays for lots of stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, and just to talk briefly about credit cards, here's a little one of my little tips, one of my little tricks is we've got currently a PayPal link on our websites so that our tenants can pay us rent. What we find is that if they're really having troubles holding it together in a month, that they will have a relative that'll say, sure, here's my credit card. So they can just pay us uh, with that credit card through the PayPal link. Uh, now, we build our websites with Squarespace. Squarespace has just formed a partnership with Stripe.com, yep. which is a, a PayPal competitor. And that actually gets the money directly into our bank account as opposed to just into the PayPal account. So yep. we may switch over. But we found that helpful in probably m- most any landlord out there with, with um, you, you know, with, with um, most any landlord in, in apartment complexes or single family housing would probably find that helpful. It's free to add to your website and it does help folks in need uh, get you paid. So, yeah, cool. And, and we use Stripe for, for our, our payments and, and used to use PayPal and, and I, I am ecstatic to not be with them, and I'm ecstatic oh, yeah. <laughs> to be with with uh, Stripe. I mean, uh, great, great service, fantastic. Well, listen, I mean, great, great, great stuff. I, 
I don't know. I'm walking away like, oh man, okay. I know <laughs> my brain is spinning. It's going nuts. We we've got a, a our, our next segment of the show that that we're gonna get to, and we're all, almost done here, uh, which is our. It's time for the fire round. All right, these questions come straight from the Bigger Pockets forums, which people can access by going to biggerpockets.com slash forums. And I will say this, if you're not on the forums every day, I think you're missing out. I think there's just something awesome about uh, you know the people listening to this. If just by engaging, even if you don't feel advanced, just engage on there a couple times a day, answer a question, ask a question, whatever. Anyway, off my soapbox. Uh, number one, can you wholesale a mobile home the same as a regular property? Well, we sell the homes either for cash or on uh, what we call rent credit agreements. So um, I think that's what that listener would be meaning by wholesaling. Maybe. I so. mean, yeah, I'm not even sure. Like, I, I think they're probably looking at it more from like a, a, a single mobile home. Like, can they find a good deal and then assign it to an investor or something? But that seems kind of weird. And mobile know. homes are kind of are purchased, from my understanding, similar to vehicles, right? There's a title that passes with a mobile home versus, uh, you know. It's There's just, a, VIN it's just a different process. Yeah. There's a VIN number. And other than here in California, uh, they do tra- tra- title transfers through the local state's DMV. DMV, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So banks, of course, like with a, a car loan, will take them as collateral. And sure, I guess you could flip them. Um, we've had a couple of guys offer to find us houses and flip them, wholesale them to us. Um, so far, those guys have gone radio silent on us, yep. so it uh, might not make too much sense <laughs> for go. them. I don't know. We we do find deals, you know, on Craigslist, and and we buy wholesale from folks like Green Tree and Vanderbilt uh, that are specialty finance companies in this business. Um, so we don't have a huge difficulty finding houses ourselves, but we're certainly open to paying referral fees to folks that uh, might have mobile homes for sale. Right, right, right on. Uh, what about the maintenance? Is maintenance more or less or the same with a mobile versus a single family? I think it's pretty comparable. We're this is uh, again the difference between perception and reality. Yeah. We use almost all the same materials, paint, carpet, sinks, uh, you know, refrigerators. We're using virtually all the same materials in our mobile homes that go into site-built houses. We just okay. go down to Lowe's and Home Depot. Uh, we're typically buying off the contractor's desk, but we're buying all the same stuff that folks are putting into apartment buildings and single family houses. It's just not that that different of a business from, from, from a repair and maintenance standpoint. Right. On. Okay. Cool. Uh, would you be, this is an interesting question. Would you be more comfortable being over leveraged or under leveraged in your investments? I would be more comfortable being over leveraged. I'm pretty confident in, in what I do. And between again, just putting up, putting well, just putting up a, a website or advertising the property on Craigslist, doing some expense control, bumping rents. I can pretty quickly improve a property's NOI, you know, thirty, forty percent within maybe the first six months at the most. So even if I've gotten in, well, like that one property at a hundred percent loan to value, it's relatively easy in this business to. Uh, get your you know your debt service coverage ratio up even towards two. A lot of banks will look, of course, to get in at a one point two debt service coverage ratio. But you know we we can improve it from that relatively easily. So um, we'd probably be more comfortable being overlevered. And in the, you know I've been through a down market. I bought my first property in March of '07 when things were still good, and by that summer and into '08, you know the wheels came off the housing market. Well, not with my mobile home park. We stayed full. You know, I bumped up the rents a bit, you know, another 10 bucks a month or something. 
Um, so this is a fairly recession-proof business, and so I would be pretty confident and, and air to the side of being uh, over-levered. Cool. There you go. There you go. Yep. All right. Last question. I'm new to real estate and have lots of student loan debt. Can I still invest? And if so, how should I do it? Yeah. The nice thing about this business is it's got a really easy on-ramp. By that, I mean you can get started with relatively little capital. Although I advise buying the land and buying a mobile home park, it is possible to get started just buying a mobile home. Uh, Some park owners that, again, may not be the best operators and investing in the homes, they might even give you a house for free or for a thousand bucks. And so if you can, you know, hang some sheetrock and paint, put a little sweat equity into it, uh, you might be able to get that home fixed up, sold off on a note, take a thousand dollars down, get your money back there and and create a note of, you know, three, four hundred bucks a month income. We advise owning the land. So maybe you want to do a land home deal where you've got a mobile home just on its own quarter acre or half acre. But you can get started in this business for much less capital. And of course, you can always partner. Um, we've seen folks partner, you know, and raise 20, 30 in equity capital from someone else. And again, they're the ones that then goes, finds the property, does the rehab. Um, so you don't have to have six figures to get started. You could probably get started with four, uh, and maybe even for zero, if you can find somebody like through your local RIA, you know, your creative real estate group that probably meets in your local town, you know, you can find somebody there to, to help you get started. And so I'd advise partnering. I there love that. Great. Awesome. Yep. Awesome stuff. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to the world famous. Famous for. All right. These questions we ask everyone, and I know you've heard them before, but uh, <laughs> let's go. Number one, what is your favorite real estate related book and why? You know, as simple as, as it is, I really like Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It just made so many things, you know, even more clear uh, around prioritizing your spending uh, saving money, getting into real estate, look at what you get with depreciation, you know, what really is an asset, what is good debt versus bad debt. Um, and so I recommend his book and a couple of others, more general investment, but for real estate, I always recommend his books, uh, to folks that, that want to get started in the business, whether you're doing, he advocates more sort of single family housing, but really any kind of real estate, if if you follow the advice in that book, I think you'll be thinking clearly, uh, about your investments and, uh, uh, be, uh, be rewarded for, for reading that book. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, what is your favorite business book and why? Uh, I really like uh, Alice Schroeder's Snowball, which is the biography on Warren Buffett. Uh, and I, had I could see a trend here. A little, yes, a little, there we a go. Obsession <laughs> with Mr. Buffett, <laughs> admiration. Uh, so, uh, uh, but anyway, yeah. So, you know what that book conveys is both the human side of Buffett. Um, he certainly paid a price with his family for you know spending every evening with his nose in annual reports of publicly traded companies looking for investments. Um, it, it made him look very, I think, accurately made him look very human. He's not perfect. He's an excellent investor, um, but uh, you know I think his kids may have missed him a bit uh, growing up. Um, so it was nice to see that personal side uh, that the man is fallible, uh, clearly accomplished, but you know nobody's perfect. Um, and then Alice uh, does a good job of laying out 
his evolution from being a cigar butt investor, uh, that would be where he would, would buy a, a company that maybe was near bankruptcy, but, you know, the assets, of course, were worth more than the liability. It had positive book value. Um, you know, and he would take one last puff, if you will, off the company but before it would go away. He evolved from that, from buying fair businesses at good prices. He evolved to being a quality investor, and he now buys good businesses at fair prices. Yeah. I've seen the similar evolution. Uh, my first deal was not a cigar butt deal, but it was more of a fair mobile home park that I bought at a good price. Uh, what we're buying now in our fund are good mobile home parks at fair prices. So we've evolved similarly. That's fair cool. enough. Fair enough. That's cool. cool. What about hobbies? What do you do for fun? Gads. Well, uh, you know, I used to collect uh, flasks, uh, you know, little sort really? of li- liquor flasks okay. that you would you would, would have carried around in, in your coat pocket. Um, I've got one that uh, looks a lot. It's designed to look like a book. So I've got it up on my shelf. Uh, I've got one that was supposedly given to Julia Child, who had done some work for the OSS during World War II. Um, at least that's what the eBay listing says. Who knows if it's true, but it only cost me 100 bucks. Um, but, you know, honestly, I'm a new dad. I've got a wonderful little nine-month-old, almost 10-month-old little Congrats. son. And so thank you. So that gives me a lot less time <laughs> for hobbies. Um, right. And uh, to our earlier point, makes uh, outsourcing uh, all the more important so I can spend uh, a little more time with him. That's, That's great. great. Love it. All right. My final question of the day. Uh, what do you think sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? I would say... Uh, a key point is going to be the ability to think uh, broadly and use OPM, other people's money. Um, and, and maybe I'll make up a term here, OPL, other people's learning. Um, I got started in this business, as I alluded to, by building up an advisory, unofficial advisory board of about 10 guys that were in the business. I spent a lot of time running deals by them, and they would say yay or nay. Or maybe they didn't know, but, you know, Jefferson, the key issue is X. Find out this issue about this park. So learning from people that way uh, was a huge leg up for me. Um, And then again, more recently, uh, now that I've outgrown my capital base with my first two deals, to now be raising outside capital um, helps me to lever my existing learning. Um, So I think those those two things, I'll leave it at that. Fantastic. Fantastic. Great. Well, sir, you are a loquacious man who has lots of wonderful things to share. It's yep. fabulous. Uh, lots of lots of great advice here. Before we let you go, I guess uh, here's a chance to tell us where people can find out more about you. I, I know you had mentioned the, the park site, but uh, do yep. you guys have a, a site for your business? Yeah. So the parkstreetpartners.net website is uh, our primary site. Uh, I've also got my lilyandcompany.net website. There's certainly some overlap there. Um, you can check out the resources on both uh, websites. That'll help folks find other books and articles and things to read to learn more about manufactured housing, also known as mobile home parks. Um, there's more information about our partnership uh, there and uh, uh, our backgrounds, my partner Brad Johnson and myself. Um, and then again, you'll see a link there, parkstreetpartners.net slash fund. That tells you more. That's actually where the op- offering documents are for our fund and two very good videos. Uh, I've been on television earlier this year uh, and been on stage at a real estate investors conference. So those two quick videos, I believe they're both less than six minutes, clearly lay out our investment thesis. 
Uh, so they're a quick and easy thing for any interested parties uh, to watch and, and learn more about us and about the business. Fabulous. Great. All right, Jefferson, thank you so much. Really, really, we do appreciate it. And of course, if people have questions they could want to ask you, they can do that on the show notes page at biggerpockets.com slash show 111. That's show 111. And uh, thanks for being a part of the show and, and for being a part of our world. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me both. Thank All you right. both. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was Jefferson Lilly once again. Big thanks to him for coming on the show. Lots and lots of really high-level, great information about mobile home parks and other thi- you know, other information that you can use regardless of your strategy and regardless of your niche. Uh, so hopefully I, you enjoyed that. I totally want to be a mobile home park investor now. Well, that happens yeah, after I mean, every show, but now I really yeah. want to get into mobile home parks, right? But, but you live in Podunk, <laughs> Washington. So you, we you know, for all practical parks. purposes, are a mobile home park <laughs> investor without the mobile home park. No? Oh, funny guy. Funny guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I like the stuff. Great. Yeah, smart. Yeah, smart guy. Cool. I, I could, uh, yeah, I need to pick his brain some more. Maybe we'll have him back someday. There you very go. Very cool. There you go. Good stuff. Well, again, big thanks to Jefferson and thanks to you guys for for joining us for listening. Uh, we really appreciate we appreciate you and 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 uh, you being we a part of. We also appreciate Nate. You. Yes. <laughs> well, there you go. Really nice. Really nice. Pick on a guy who has a problem. There and, you go. Yep. Yeah. All right. Anyway, appreciate. if you're not <laughs> if you're not already on our community, join Bigger Pockets today at biggerpockets.com. Get involved. Uh, you know, connect and just uh, start engaging with us in our little corner of the real estate world. We hope to see you there. Thanks for being a part. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Listen up. And uh, I'm, I'm going to just babble on because I haven't slept in five days. So thanks. I'm Josh Dorkin signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.